Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Now, Warren Ingram is making big promises tonight. He's promising the greatest investment approach ever invested, invented for you as an individual investor. This is the best investment approach ever. Now, that's a big claim. It's a huge claim. And I'm going to quietly cast out my line and let him hang himself on it. Um, Warren, um, how's this thing that you're about to talk about the greatest investment approach ever because well and, and just before you report me to the advertising standards <laughs> authority it's certainly not claiming that i invented it no um but, but i do th- I, I do think it is it is the greatest in- investment approach ever and, and and to start with it's it's one of the um one of the tools that that a individual investor has that that's not available for example to pension funds or unit trusts or any large pools of money where where a, a, a money manager is is making decisions on the one side and on the other side he, he, that money manager will have uh, clients who are either adding or withdrawing money and, and both of those uh, those dynamics could be very good and and, and very constructive and, and and generate lots of capital growth for investors or in in bad times they can be and often are a very uh, bad combination where you've got fund managers making uh, not such great decisions. And then on top of that, uh, clients pulling money out, forcing the fund managers to, to sell investments um, you know, at a time, for, for example, when they wouldn't necessarily want to. And most, most of the time having to sell their best and most liquid investments to, to pay their, their investors Okay. I mean, I I need an example on this one, Warren. I mean, because as a private investor, you can do something fundamentally different to the lump sum brigade. The people who are forced to put a bunch of money in on day one and then sit with that lump of money for a period of time. You you can, as a a private investor, say, I'm going to commit uh, to to the most simple thing in the world. I'm going to do a monthly debit order off my bank account. It's going to be automated. It's going to go into my uh, my investment every single month on 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 the same day, and I'm not going to think about it again. And I'm just going to keep investing. Uh, and and I, I look for for examples of how this works well. And and because we're in in uh, how do I how do I say this nicely? We're in a, a rather awful time of of global stock markets. Uh, I, I looked for a really terrible time in in, in American markets because you, you know the American market is the one that drives everything uh, around the world in terms of stock markets, and the worst period in American stock market history in terms of growth uh, above inflation or, or potentially not beating inflation w- w- was a, a fairly long period of time, 16 years from 1966 to 1982. If you had done what 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 I've often spoken about on the show, which is you know, t- take your money, put it in the in the index, and just forget about it. Um, and if you'd done that for this sixteen year period, you 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 would have put a thousand dollars in, and and after sixteen years, your thousand dollars would be worth two thousand nine hundred dollars, which doesn't sound too bad, except for the fact that when you account for inflation, your 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 thousand dollars is actually only worth nine hundred and fifty dollars. In other words, the real return—that's the jargon for this. Uh, the real return was negative. You actually lost money when you looked at the buying power of your money by buying the index and and staying the course. And, and in I, almost any other circumstance, let's just run this. I, I let's would just say, run this bias again over sixteen years. If you'd put on day one, and that would have been in February nineteen sixty six, you'd put a thousand dollars into the market, and you just left it there. 
it would have tripled in value, but because of inflation, was worth less by the end in real terms than what you put in 16 years ago. That's disastrous. How could you have done better? If you had just done a debit order, you just said, I'm going to take $100 a month. I'm just going to put it, you know, a debit order of my bank account into the very same investment. So you're putting it into the index, nothing different, but I'm just going to keep investing and I'm going to ignore all the panic, all the bad news, all of the, the dinner table conversations. I'm just going to keep going. I'm not going to try and second guess what the markets are going to do. I'm just going to do my, you know, my, my simple strategy and and control this, which is you know simple. I'll just, just do it and ignore everyone else and not pull anything out and not be fancy. But by the end of that uh, the, that period, you would have actually in cash, you would have put in $20,100. That, that's the amount of money you would have put in. And over that time, your $20,100 would have grown to $41,000 and some change, which sounds amazing, you know, because, you know, much better than $1,000 goes to $2,900. But, but once you account for inflation, you have made money. Your, your, your $20,100 after inflation has grown to $20,931. And I know you're going to tell me, Bruce, that's not great. It's know? not in, great, it's, Warren. It's in, <laughs> but uh, the, do, doing something relatively simple, staying invested, and then and then just keeping your investment going. In other words, keep investing with with all the bad news that's going on. You know, if I mean, I, I wasn't uh, alive in in the in the late sixties or the or the very early seventies, but but you know, from what I read in textbooks, wasn't a great time in in the state of the world. You know, with lots of fear around, and you know, Cuban Missile Crisis and Cold Wars and Vietnam and all of that stuff. Uh, and and you actually preserved the money. You actually protected the value of your money in real terms, the, the buying power of your money, doing nothing uh, complicated, doing something very simple, but by just staying uh, staying invested. But but more importantly, to keep investing, to keep buying when when everyone else is is sitting on the sidelines, everyone else is panicking, uh, and and you simply have to do nothing unusual, no, I- nothing strange. Just just keep going. Uh, again, this is unfair because I don't think you've done the calculation, but I wonder if it would be different had you invested in the best 16-year period in history and you'd done exactly the same thing. You put in $1,000 um, and you'd watched and, and you'd at the beginning and you'd allowed that $1,000 to make money babies and to reinvest the dividends and to compound year on year on year in the best period in history, whether or not it would have been better to do the lump sum or to invest consistently through that same period. You are absolutely right. A lump sum would have done better. Uh, no question. So, so when, when the lump sum investing works is when markets are, are rising consistently. However, we're not sitting in one of those times, Bruce. We, you know, we, we need strategies to, to help people remain calm when yeah. everyone else around them is freaking out and panicking and and just getting really uncomfortable and and super despondent, both you know about South Africa and 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 the state of the world. Uh, and and you know, this is not one of those periods of the best of times. This is this is kind of a lousy time, to, to be honest, and, and a frightening time. Uh, so so you're right. I mean, I think if you if you're fairly confident that that the world um, markets are going to run up in a in a fairly consistent pattern for month after month for for a long period of time, th- then a lump sum would be your your best bet always. That, that that's no question. The problem is, 
we don't even know what's going to happen in five days' time. Forget about what, what's going to happen for the next 16 years. No, and, exactly and then I right. Would say, and, and I, you know, there is no uninterrupted period of gains over 16 years. There are periods in that 16 years where times are absolutely atrocious. There are times when they're absolutely euphoric, and somehow you have to hit a happy medium. And the best way to hit the happy medium is to be small, consistent, and committed. Um, and, and just to simply keep on keeping on. Exactly right, and and I think it's uh, it's not. I, I don't want to say um, it's 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 not difficult. It's it's definitely difficult, not not practically. I mean, it's you know what we're talking about here is the simplest thing in the world: start a debit order. There is no complexity in that whatsoever. However, when when the news flow is scary. Um, it becomes really hard to just keep going. And, and I think that's the message here is, you, you, you know, simple things, I, I know they don't, they're not always easy to do, but, but it is the tool that we have as private investors is we can, we can look at the world and say, well, you know, we don't want to keep repeating the mistakes that everyone else keeps consistently making decade after decade. We, we're just going to, you know, we're, we're going to do us. And, and to do us is we're going to be simple. You know, we, we're going to stick to a very basic strategy uh, and, and watch the space. We might not do incredibly well when when the world does incredibly well but we really won't do badly in a time like that however when the world is falling apart we're still going to be okay and i think that's the key here is how do you eliminate the worst mistakes and and how do you protect yourself in the worst of times and then participate um, you know reasonably well in in most of the upside when the world is going very well i mean i don't think I'm, i would mind too much if my money went from a thousand to nine thousand nine hundred and it didn't quite match the thousand to twelve thousand you know sure. that that's okay i don't i don't mind a little bit of lost growth but i really don't like losing money forever that that, that would really bother me uh, absolutely right uh, a, a, a lovely mail from pam asking an incredibly pertinent and important question warren and that is uh, my husband and i i'm cor- correcting the grammatical error me and my husband. No, my husband and I are at the point in our lives where we are looking for a financial advisor to help us plan for retirement. Point number one, Warren, that should have happened 20 years ago. But you're, you're making a good call to get some help now, which is better late than never. Uh, it seems like you get good advisors and bad advisors. Absolutely. You get Good financial advisors and bad financial advisors, good doctors and bad doctors, good lawyers and bad lawyers. You get good journalists and bad journalists. We can carry on, but most certainly you do get bad advisors. Um, are there any questions that you would ask to help you tell the difference? Are there any red flags that you should look out for as you go through the process of canvassing financial advisors? What a great question, Pam. Thank you. Warren? Um, I, I think it's true. I think there, there are some uh, n- n- nice, clear questions you can ask. And, and, and for me, the, the first one, which, which is always uncomfortable, but, it, but it's a good, uh, uncomfortable question to ask, is how, how do you charge? How, how do you get paid? Uh, and, and what you're looking for, Pam, is you, 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 want, you want, firstly, complete transparency and uh, you know, just complete openness from the advisor to say, well, uh, you know, I, I charge you an hourly fee and I'm going to invoice you and this is how you're going to pay me or... You know, I, I earn a percentage of the assets under the advice. So, you know, here's a concrete example. You know, if you give me, you know, X million rand, I'm going to earn, you know, however many hundreds or thousands of rands a month from, from your investment. And, uh, or uh, I, I'm going to earn commission from the investments that I sell you. And, and again, you know, if you put in your 100,000 rand as an investment, this is how much commission in rand terms I'm going to make. It needs to be very simple, very transparent, 
that the advisor needs to have that information uh, either either at his or her fingertips or very quickly be able to commit it in writing to you to, to explain to you exactly in terms that, that are very simple for you to understand. And, and, and here's, and here's my follow-up a, question to that, and that's how do I assess whether or not it is a fair price or not? If I'm going to go buy myself a second-hand car, I can go on the internet and I can easily assess that the 1996 Toyota Taz um, red with five scrapes on the doors is 20,000 Rand or whatever the, the price of a, of, a, of a Taz is. I can get to a price. How do I know when I'm sitting across the road from us, across the, the table from a slick financial advisor who's been asked this question and has practiced the answer many, many times before um, that what they're offering to me is going to be good value? Because that is a critical part of that question. It, it is. Uh, it, it ties into to my, my second comment is uh, um, th- th- that you, you need to do this at least three times over. In other words, you need to go and speak to at least three advisors, you have to shop around for this. You can't just go to the first one that, that comes knocking on your door or the first website that you find. Uh, and and what I think will happen there, and I'm not, not dodging the answer, I'll give you an answer now, Bruce, sure. but, but I think what will happen is if you talk to three advisors about your situation and you get three answers to the how do you charge question and and then from them how, how they're going to charge you, very quickly you'll get a, you'll get a good sense of of what's happening in, and uh, and what they're going to charge you. And, and the reason why I can't give a, a really straightforward answer is, uh, you know, if, if Pam's kind of financial position is, you know, a, a mess, not, I'm not saying that, that, that she, she might not be in a, in a good financial position, but just that her investments are all over the place and, and very hard to find records and, you know, doesn't quite know what her, her expenses are and her, her overall retirement uh, planning, uh, you know, is, is really messy to sort out. It might require quite a bit of work, uh, whereas someone else, you know, m- might be, you know, absolutely slick and clean in terms of their planning and very simple, and and so so they might require very little work to to kind of set a, a retirement plan for them. So so there will be different clients with, with different positions re- requiring different levels of advice, and and so to say. Uh, you know that I think uh, it's a five thousand rand is is a good fee for a, a, a retirement plan. That that might be completely misleading for for someone who's got a really messy position. Equally, if someone charges an annual fee, an, an ongoing advice fee that's linked to the size of the assets, uh, I think that that fee uh, to, to me should range from about half a percent a year to to one percent. But again, it does depend on the work required on an ongoing basis. Uh, definitely on size of assets um, and, and, and definitely almost a fair use policy as well. You know, how, 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 much, how much work is involved in, in building the investment, maintaining the, 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 the client to stay invested. All, all of those things are going to be, quite, you know, quite variable. And, and just because you're getting charged a particular percentage in year one, the complicated year, the year in which the assets are being sorted out and sifted and found and identified and um, right-sized and fixed and sold and bought and, and worked out, just because you're paying you know, that full 1% in year one doesn't necessarily mean you should be paying that same rate in year two to five to ten because surely all the hard work was done in year one unless the financial advisor says, actually, you do need to keep paying me at this rate for ten years. Um, I anticipate you'll pay me for 10 years uh, because I'm doing, you know, 100 hours of work on your portfolio over here. Um, and somebody, you know, you know, I can either charge you up front or uh, we can do this over an extended period of time. Yeah, I, I, I am. I, I tend to feel that, you know, a great plan, a great documented, uh, you know, retirement plan. 
uh, is is fairly worthless if if it's not implemented firstly and, yeah. and secondly if it's not stuck to in bad times so so i, I would um i wouldn't give a huge value to to a, you know a beautiful document that's absolutely brilliantly designed and and you know really complicated uh, if you know that the person on the other side of the table is not going to stick to the plan you know by, by year three when the markets fall apart and and they don't have the emotional fortitude to get through those bad times so so i i, I think it's a bit like going to doctors. You know, we, we only go to doctors when we're sick. I, I, I'd love to find a doctor who says, I'm going to charge you a monthly fee to keep you healthy. So, so I, I think most of the work in financial planning, if you've got a good person, a good investment planner, that they, they should be charging you a monthly fee to, to keep, your, keep you going on, on your chosen path and to keep you from making bad mistakes and to keep coaching you. So, so I'm going to, for the first time ever, Bruce, disagree with you on air. But, but I think... Uh, I think good advisors should be paid monthly and 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 not too much upfront. Actually, you know, and th- then I think everyone everyone wins over the next twenty thirty years of that relationship. Can I just say on behalf of everybody listening to the Money Show this evening, how much we're going to miss you, Warren? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I have one really big question that you have to ask, and that's about the, yeah. the education and experience, and and really key to me. Uh, uh, and I know I might be biased in this is the, uh, great, great advisors uh, are, are called certified financial planners. It's CFA. an academic qualification. Is, uh, I didn't hear you. CFA. So we've got a bit of a, dis- a disruption on the line C- tonight. C- uh, oh, it's, it's, it's CFP, Certified Financial Planner. There we go. And, uh, and, and, and Certified Financial Planners, I, I think, are, 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 are what you know from that is the person's got at least a postgraduate qualification in financial planning, and, and they've got a certain amount of experience, and they've got uh, a requirement to stay educated about financial planning on an ongoing basis, and they meet an ethical standard. And it's all done by an independent uh, institution called the Financial Planning Institute. So, so to me, that's really key in this whole conversation is, is your advisor a certified financial planner? If not, why not? Uh, they, they might, that might be a red flag for me. I, I know, I know uh, there, there are good advisors who aren't CFPs and, and, and they would sound biased, but, but I think it's a key, it's a key reason. I think, you know, you, you don't go to lawyers who haven't studied law and you don't go to accountants who haven't studied accounting. I, I think the same uh, uh, applies here. And also make blooming sure that they're registered as a financial services provider uh, with, the, with the regulators at the Reserve Bank. Um, at, at the FSCA, uh, yeah. de- definitely, and um, and and then also just uh, the, the, another question will be: wh- What products uh, do you recommend? Are you restricted in terms of you know only only uh, advising one ca- on one company's products? So if I come to you, will you only sell me you know your your employer's products, or will you sell me the the thing that might suit me better from somewhere else? I, I'm not sure that that's always a red flag, but it's a very good question to ask because uh, you know sometimes you, you you might be stuck in a in in, a, in one company that doesn't have the full suite of investment products that that are well priced, etc., and and that might be to your detriment. But it needs to just be clear and explained to you uh, in, in terms of what's available. To you, and, and then you know this is your retirement planning. So, so the, the last thing to ask the advisor is, uh, I would like to speak to three of your clients. I, I would like their names. I'll I'll give them a call, uh, and I want you know a proper references uh, uh, about you. And especially key there is, you know, what did you do up front? What did you promise uh, up front? And what's been delivered over the next number of years? And and to me, those are great questions to ask the 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 clients of the advisor. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Warren Ingram, very much. Look forward to chatting to you next week. Um, And Warren is a personal financial advisor and he's a director at Galileo Capital.